the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. The Gospel of Luke is written so that we might know we have a reliable faith. The events written about in the book were eyewitness accounts that Luke took the time to research for himself and write down. We have seen that Jesus, the Savior of the world, was born to a poor carpenter family in the city of Nazareth. He grew up and lived a normal life, doing woodwork till the age of 30, when he started his ministry telling people to repent of their sins. Jesus performed many miracles, healing the sick, the blind, the paralyzed, even casting out demons that had gone into people. The scribes and Pharisees were outraged when Jesus claimed to be the Messiah and when he gave forgiveness of a man's sins, proclaiming he is God in the flesh. He will now offend them all the more by joining a party with a certain tax collector. We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 5, verse 27. Where we left off two weeks ago was with the healing of the paralyzed man. Luke had shared the story of how they lowered him through the roof. And then, of course, Jesus did the unexpected. Instead of saying, wow, they have great faith, be healed, he said, your sins are forgiven. And everybody got bent out of shape. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus explained, he goes, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins on earth. He turned to the man and he said, rise up and walk. The last time we saw Jesus, the crowds were glorifying God for the healing of this paralyzed man, but they were also stunned because they felt like Jesus's claims to be God in the flesh were too crazy to be true. Even though Jesus backed up his words by healing the man, the religious leaders, too much too. They said, we have seen strange things, which means unbelievable, too hard to believe things this day. Religious leaders are still trying to find a way to discredit Jesus. Well, as we continue in Luke 5 today, they'll see their opportunity. And as Jesus answers their critique, may it cure us from the prideful and religious mentalities that can keep us from being shaped to be more like God. So chapter 5, we'll pick it up in verse 27. And after these things, he went forth, Jesus, and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. And he left all, rose up and followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? It starts off by saying, after these things. So after that first confrontation with the Pharisees and the scribes who were critical of Jesus because he said, Your sins be forgiven you. It's not like they left town after that. Remember, they're all there to kind of catch Jesus or put him in his place. And because they thought Jesus' words were too hard to believe, this would become just the first of many confrontations they're going to have with the Lord over the next two chapters. So after that confrontation, the man's healed, he goes home. They're all stunned, too hard to believe that he's God. 
And so it says that Jesus went forth. He left Peter's house because Peter's still there because he has a roof job to do now. And it says he saw a publican. We see that and we think he just kind of was walking. He saw some guy standing by the side. That's not what that word saw means. It means to visit a friend. Jesus wasn't just randomly walking somewhere. He went to go visit a friend. Now, this guy, Levi here, he was one of Jesus's followers. This is not a stranger, okay? Like Peter. Remember, Peter knew the Lord and, and he had been following Jesus, but then Jesus said, leave everything and follow me. Same thing for Matthew here. Now, unlike Peter, we don't know that part of his story. We don't know when he first heard Jesus teach. We don't know, you know, the various times when he, he continued to go hear Jesus. We only know that Jesus considered him a friend. And do you know that if you're here today to learn from Jesus, that he considers you a friend? You know, if you're here to learn from him, he looks at you and he says, you're my friend. I want to get to know you better. I think sometimes we, we see the Lord and we think he's this far off person. He doesn't want a close relationship with us. But, you know, Jesus even told his disciples, he says, now I call you my friends. You know, I, I don't call you my servants. I call you my friends. And that's not something new. Abraham was called the friend of God. And the Bible says that if you believe, you're just like Abraham. Look at Galatians 3 with me. We'll look at verses 26 through 29. It says, for you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. If you have put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for your sins, what he did for you on the cross, the Bible says that you are his child. You're his son. You're his daughter. We are all the children of God through our faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you you, as have been baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. So there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, if you be Christ, or since you be Christ, since we belong to him, we're his kids, then we are Abraham's seed too, and heirs according to the promise. So Abraham, who is the friend of God, we are his spiritual descendants. We are the friends of God as well. Do you know that? Well, who was this friend that Jesus went to go see? Well, it tells us he went to go visit a publican named Levi. Now, it's not a Republican. Um, This is a publican, which is much worse. The publican here, it was a tax collector. See, the Romans, they farmed out their collections to businessmen who then would add a percentage of what they were supposed to pay, and that would be their profit. So their collectors were not liked. I mean, just as many politicians and tax collector, the guys who, nobody likes paying taxes, okay? So you're not really gonna be the happy guy if you're coming to the door to collect them if you're the tax collector. So nobody wanted that job. So these guys were hired from the dregs of society. Because they were from the dregs of society, they weren't good folks normally. They were well known for their extortion. They would say, well, this is the rate the company says, but they would jack it up. They would weigh up so they could make and pocket extra money. And all around the world, the Gentiles would say there's nothing worse in the world than a tax collector. If a Jew worked as a tax collector, not only were you a thief, thought of as a thief, but you were also considered a traitor to your nation because you were working for the occupying force. You were working for the Romans. And so tax collectors, they were placed in the same category as harlots and criminals. Publican was a term of ridicule, a term of disgust, a term that described the worst kind of sinner. You know, Jesus, interesting, he's going to visit a friend who's the worst kind of sinner. Jesus counted him a friend. Now, his name, it says here, is Levi. That's a pretty famous name, right? One of the 12 sons of Jacob, one of the tribes of Israel. 
The tribe of, of Levi was the one that God had called to teach the people his word and to help and assist the priests in the temple service. I mean, that's a, a pretty illustrious name that this guy was given. I would say the apple has fallen very far from the tree, wouldn't you say? We know this guy not as Levi. We know him as someone else, right? We know him as Matthew, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. Why do we call him Matthew? Well, like Peter, Peter's not his original name. His original name is you know, Cephas. I mean, his original name is Simon. But Jesus called him Peter because you're going to be a rock. I'm going to make you into a rock. Well, Matthew means a gift from God. I can assure you that when Matthew came to your house, no one was thinking, oh, the gift from God is here. No one at all. But Jesus changed his name. He goes, you know, people hate you, Matthew. People hate you, Levi. But I'm going to do a new work in your life. I'm going to make you a blessing to other people. You're going to be a gift from God. See, that was the new name Jesus gave to him because Jesus saw the man that Levi would become, not the man that he was right now. He saw the man he would become. The Bible says that God calls the things that aren't as though they are. He sees the things that aren't, and he, he sees them as they will be. God knows that. And the question is, do I see people with the eyes of what Jesus can do in them? Or do I only look at people with what I can see and all the limitations that come with that? Only what I can see right now. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Levi to be seen as more than the dregs of the planet by somebody? That's how Jesus viewed him. He viewed him as a friend. And can you understand why Levi kept returning to hear Jesus teach? (laughs) This guy actually cares about me. This guy sees something, something I don't even see. And he kept being drawn back and they became friends. Now, normally Matthew's the one going to see Jesus, but this time Jesus is going to see Matthew. Why? Well... Jesus is going to call him to full-time ministry. And he said unto him, he saw him sitting at the receipt of custom. That's the receipt of custom is the tax collector's office, tax collector's booth. Matthew's working, basically. But Jesus is here to call him to a different kind of work. He said unto him, follow me. Follow me. It's a command. You are to be my disciple from now on. It's interesting. Society had given Matthew two choices. Either you fight against Rome and hate the Romans or you're a traitor to your own people. Those are the two choices he had. Matthew didn't fit in real well with his people, so he sided with the Romans. At least he could get work that way. But see, Jesus presented him with a third option. Now, when did that option come about? Well, we know from a couple of weeks ago, we studied that just before these events, Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. I guarantee you, Matthew was probably there. And as Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about a different kingdom. Not the kingdom that the Jews wanted to set up. They were always trying to rebel against Rome and set up their kingdom. Not the kingdom of, of Rome. That, the Roman Empire, Matthew is very familiar with. But Jesus talked about a whole new kingdom. A kingdom governed by different principles. A kingdom where it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. And then he preached this whole message on it. A new option came open to Matthew, a different one, one that didn't include hating anybody, a third way of life, one that made sense among all the crazy politics. Is it any wonder that Matthew responds the way he does here so quickly? And he left all, rose up, and followed him. The word left all means he abandoned everything. He left it all behind, the job, the paycheck, everything. Left it all behind. You know, the world is full of people tugging and pulling on you. Believe what we believe. Jesus doesn't say that. He says, be my disciple. Be like me. Now, I need to clarify what I just said because certainly being like Jesus means believing things, right? I mean, we've got this right here. We believe it's the word of God and we believe what's in it matters and therefore we want to live it out, right? 
We believe it's important. So being like Jesus means believing things to the exclusion of other things. We say we don't believe this. So it's not that we don't believe anything. But being like Jesus is more than just a list of what to believe. It impacts who I am and how I live. And see, that's why Levi followed Jesus. That's why he got up. Because Levi needed to become Matthew. And the only one who can take a wicked person who lives for himself, like Levi had, and turn them into someone who gives their life away, what Matthew would be, the only person who can do that is Jesus. That's the only person who can do that. That's why Matthew left it all behind. See, Jesus promises you and me something greater than just an enlistment application. Come join our club. Come stand what we stand for. Come be a, you know, believe what we believe. Jesus promises to make me like him, even though I'm nothing like him right now. Isn't that what we all need? There's tons of good ideas out there, but getting, signing up for a bunch of good ideas doesn't fix anything. We need someone who can actually change us. No political party can offer that. We need to be changed. I know that's what I need. Now, when you've been set free from the chains that have trapped you for so long, it's an exciting day, isn't it? And so Matthew throws a party. Look at verse 29. It says, And Levi made him a great feast. So the feast is for Jesus. Made him a great feast, a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. This is a bit of an odd party here, okay? It's a big, huge reception. That's what the word feast means, a big reception or a banquet. And the reception was to celebrate the fact that Matthew was becoming a student under a really cool rabbi. It was to celebrate Jesus and to invite all his friends over there to show them that he was going to be Jesus' student. That's the type of feast most tax collectors don't get invited to, okay? Because it's a spiritual celebration. And yet, those were probably the only friends Matthew had. And he wanted all of them to meet Jesus and to celebrate this moment with him. But it says there were others that sat down. Well, who were they? Well, we see in verse 30, when the scribes and Pharisees complained, they complained to who? Jesus' disciples. So the others there are Jesus' disciples. And they were sitting down with them, the tax collectors. Now you think, okay, big deal. Okay, so they're you know, all, all in the banquet hall and everybody's sitting at a, you know, you know, at, at a table. No, 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 that's not how they did things back then, all right? The word there, to sit down, means to recline against. Now, we do dinner, and maybe, you know, if you have a large group, you might do a buffet style, and everybody sits wherever they want around the living room, or maybe you have a big enough table, and everybody sits at the table, but then they would eat low to the ground. They would eat on these pillows and cushions, and they would eat on their side like this. So, you know, somebody's toes are in your face, and you're wiggling yours in somebody else's face, and that's just how they did it, all right? They would eat like that. So it's a very close, intimate setting. You didn't just eat with anybody, all right? You didn't just eat with anybody, you would only eat with those that you valued very highly. So this is an odd party. A bunch of Jesus' followers at an intimate dinner with tax collectors? As you could imagine, this was an issue for the religious leaders. And they decide to take their beef to Jesus' disciples. But their scribes and Pharisees, literally means the Pharisees and their scribes, they murmured against his disciples. The word murmur is an onomatopoeic word. In other words, it comes from the sound that the word makes. It refers to a cooing of doves or the buzzing of bees. I have a bird. He doesn't coo like a dove. He squawks. And sometimes it's no big deal. Just kind of he's doing his thing, whatever. 
But every once in a while, it's just that bleeding same sound over and over and over and over and over again. And you could put headphones on, you can leave the room, but it like pierces through concrete and all manner of obstacles. And it just eventually you just go, enough. <laughs> you know? And you take them and you put them on the porch. But the idea is, is that that's this idea, that bleeding, this murmuring. This isn't just they went and lodged their complaint. They're going from disciple to disciple to disciple and lodging their complaint. It's like this murmur over and over and over and over and over again. And, of course, that reaches the ears of Jesus. This is a bit of an aside here. But if you're doing that, that's wrong. Like, you should not be going from person to person complaining about a situation or complaining about someone else. You know, the Bible says, do everything without complaining. That's, it's like an American pastime is to complain. But the Bible says, do everything without complaining, right? I think sometimes we don't know what else to do. And so we just figure, well, I can have, find a common ground with somebody if I complain. And I find that people do it very readily. You know, they have that awkward moment and say, and you know what happened to me this week? And then it lets everybody off the hook. Oh, yeah, because everybody has a, a, a bad boss or everybody has a mean coworker or everybody has that relative that drives you nuts. It's easy. It's easy conversation. It's shallow. The Lord doesn't want us to complain. But here these guys are. They're complaining. And their complaint is, why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? They're asking these guys, what are you doing reclining next to a bunch of sinners? You guys are out of line. You might think, again, what's the big deal? But it's not just that they're in an intimate setting. Eating is more serious in Middle Eastern culture. Because the way they did meals is they would break food off, whether it was the the carcass of the animal or a big piece of bread or whatever it was. They would break it off and they would eat with like dipping sauces and stuff. So the idea is everybody ate from the same source. It all came from the, the same main chunk of whatever. So the idea is you're breaking off a piece of food and it's, I'm eating it and it's nourishing me. And then you're taking from the same thing I took it from and it's nourishing you. And so they actually believe that when you ate with somebody, you were becoming one with them. So they didn't do that with just anybody. So the idea here is, you know, you're becoming one with a bunch of sinners. And so no Pharisee would ever eat dinner with a sinner, ever. Remember, Pharisee means separated ones, right? We're the separated ones. We don't ever go near sinners. We stay as far away from sinners as possible. So what are you guys doing here? Reclining with a bunch of sinners. Aren't you glad Jesus is the friend of sinners? I'm so glad. I'm so glad Jesus dines with me. Well, the friend of sinners gets wind of their complaints and he decides to address them. Verse 31, it says, And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The Pharisees, why were they really upset with Jesus? Well, see, they were upset with Jesus because he wasn't getting on board with their plan. See, the Messiah is supposed to be on their side. Get rid of the Romans. Get rid of all the sinners so we can implement God's kingdom. That was their thought. That was their plan. Everybody be like us, right? Everybody be a Pharisee. But see, Jesus, that wasn't his plan. And what happens when I become self-righteous like them is I begin to forget what God says and I replace it with my own ideals. And I grow stubborn to the work God's trying to do in my life to change me. That's the exact opposite of the message that Jesus brought. Jesus came and said, very simple message, repent, change, for the kingdom is closed. Salvation's right in front of you. God is offering it to you. Repent. Remember when he came to Nazareth and, I, and he, he pulled the scroll open and he found the place in Isaiah where 61, where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the, to the humble and to bind up the brokenhearted. Let me get it, get it all here. 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the humble. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. God wants to accept you. He wants to save you. He's here if you'll just repent, if you'll just give your heart to him and turn around and let him change you. That was Jesus' message from the very beginning. But these guys are so hard-headed, and Jesus, he's teaching this, and they're like, oh, he's talking about them. He's talking about everybody else, not me. We're the righteous ones. We're good. And so they were upset. They're like, why is he giving us a hard time? We're the good guys. And why is he hanging out with a bunch of sinners? They're the bad guys. And so Jesus said, you're missing the point. They that are whole don't need a physician, but those that are sick do. So I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus isn't saying the righteous. Remember, they're the righteous ones, the separated ones. He's not saying, I didn't come to invite you. That's not what he's saying. He's trying to make a point. It's not that Jesus only wants to help certain people. It's that there are no righteous people. (laughs) There are no righteous people. And so as long as I think I'm righteous, I'll stubbornly refuse to repent. And that's where they were at. He's like, do you know why we're here at this party? Here's where the people who want to repent are. (laughs) Here's the people who know they need God. Here's the people who know that things aren't okay and they need to be changed. That's why I'm here. My message is repent for the kingdom is close and they're repentant. Why am I not at your parties? You don't care about changing. You think you've already arrived. I'm here because this is where the repentance is. This is where the repentance was taking place. When God isn't getting on board with your plans, because that was their beef, when God's not getting on board with your plans, you have a choice. You can remain proud, or you can take a serious look at yourself. Right? That's what they needed to do. Take a serious look at themselves, but they refused. Unfortunately, they refused to look at themselves, and they decided to pick another fight with Jesus. So they got, oh, well, we got your attention, buddy. So we've got another problem here. And they said unto him, why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers? And likewise, the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. It's not that Jesus never prayed. The phrase make prayers is the idea of doing something publicly. The Pharisees, their prayers would be very elaborate. They would go into the marketplace at the hour of prayer. They'd blow a trumpet so everyone would be quiet. And then they would say their long, elaborate prayer. Jesus didn't do that. Neither did his disciples. Now, Jesus, it's not that he didn't fast. Jesus fasted longer than anybody ever has. But the point here is they weren't fasting right now because that's their point. But yours eat and drink. You're partying right now. You're having a celebration. Why aren't you fasting right now like the Pharisees are? You see us eating any of this food? No, I haven't touched a single apple. A couple of things before we examine their question. Number one, Why are they having this celebration? This is a celebration for a sinner who's repented. God has given Matthew a new life, spreading the news of salvation to others who will repent. And the Pharisees miss all that. Like Jesus says, there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents. Well, one just did. And they can't see it. They have no eyes for that right now. Number two, Matthew invited all these other sinners here so they could meet the man who changed his life. He's hoping maybe Jesus could change their life too. And if the Pharisees cared an ounce about people, about right, about wrong, about what God wanted, then why would they interrupt that great work for this stupid question? 
Why would they interrupt the work that God's trying to do and all these people and rescuing them too for this? We'll have a time here where God just pours out his spirit. There's always one. It's always one. You know, Pastor Will, I just really didn't like how the worship team did that song today. And I'm just thinking to myself, can I just take your head and swivel it around so you can see all the people right here who are weeping before the Lord and how he's changing their lives? Could you just take a look at that for one minute? One minute. My favorite is this one. God will just pour out his spirit, do a great work, and, you know, someone will come up and, you know, I I just really don't understand. You know, why why do you guys pass out new King James Bibles here? I'm like, I'm thinking, okay, I have to love this person. And I have to be nice. What I'm really thinking is, you know, you're missing the point. It's not that we can't have that conversation, but the fact you're having it with me right at this moment shows you've missed the point. And more than likely, you're probably one of the people who needs to be up here. But your heart's so hard. You just, you want everybody else to get on board with your plans. You can't even see the plan that God is enacting right in front of you. Now, this is why Jesus later will accuse them of being blind guides. Look at Matthew 23. We're just going to look at verses 13 and 15. The whole chapter is kind of Jesus' scathing rebuke. Jesus says to him, he says, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up, you lock up the kingdom of heaven against men. You keep people from going to heaven. For you neither go in yourselves, neither do you allow those that are entering in to go in. You, you won't go in, but that, that's not the worst part of it. The worst part of it is when others are going in, you stop them. He explains how they do that in verse 15. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you compass sea land. You travel all around to make one proselyte, one convert, one follower of your way of life to make another Pharisee. And when he's made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. You go and find people who need the Lord. And after they become more like you, they're twice as worse off than they were before. You yourselves won't go to heaven and you keep other people from going. Wow. They can't help anybody. They're in no condition to help anybody because they can't even recognize the awesomeness of someone who's been helped or the awesome opportunity to help even more people that's right in front of them at this party. Our hearts can grow stubborn and dull to God's word and calling in our lives. God says we can have an intimate and abiding relationship with him if we continually seek him in our everyday lives. This can seem quite paradoxical. To know someone thoroughly and yet continue to learn and grow in the knowledge of them. As a husband getting to know his wife afresh and anew every day, or lifelong friends learning something new about each other, we will never exhaust all the things we can learn about God. There is no limit to the intimacy and closeness we can have with our great King, who calls us to humble ourselves and draw near to Him. The only thing that stands in the way is our pride. We need to be broken at the foot of the cross every day, knowing we don't have all the answers. Only Jesus does. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-2000.
1-800-273-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.